Hello, HGR kids. It's Wes, and I'm here with the Bio Squad. Join us today for a behind-the-moment episode of Bring Bring It On. What's up, guys? It's the Bio Squad. That's right. You know them. You love them. Wesley. Bio Squad. What? I'm telling them. Dude, it's the Bio Squad. Literally. No one even knows what that is. The Bio Squad, obviously. Bro, you make us sound like we became scientists. Yeah. That's I, right, guys. We're we're now a science podcast. Lab, lab coats and all. Like yeah. we we need to explain though. Cause it, it does sound like we're like mad scientists. And knowing that Wesley and I lead this thing out, it could be going anywhere. So Bio Squad is our new name because we have a fourth member. And it is Michaela. <laughs> And I Wesley, just broke everyone's eardrums. Wesley still hasn't got a hang of his sound effects. Um, Michaela's joined us officially as our fourth member now. And it gets a little hard in our introduction to be like, it's Will, it's Wes, it's Ray, it's Michaela. So we decided to just give ourselves a name. And since bio stands for bring it on, we are the bio squad officially. Hashtag. Yeah. Put it on What's Instagram. Up? And uh, in our bio squad today, Michaela, why don't you tell us what we're doing today? So we're doing another behind um, the moment, behind the moment episode. And speaking of new, we have a guest. His name is Brother Mitchell. Whoop whoop! Welcome, welcome to hey the podcast, to the table with a blanket on it. Yeah, our special guest suite. It's Glad not too to bad. be here. <laughs> Um, so today we are doing behind the moment and, um, we're going to let brother Mitchell introduce himself. We could tell you a lot about him, but why don't you explain who you are and why we have you here today? (laughs) So my name is Mitchell Elder. Uh, my dad is pastor Paul Elder in Pueblo, Colorado. My mom is Lori Elder, obviously my dad's wife. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Um, and this is where I've grown up here in this church. Uh, we had a small, vacation for I think it was like six or nine months where we weren't in Pueblo Uh, but other than that I've grown up here my whole life so done everything from vacuuming to taking out the trash to nowadays I help a lot with outreach Um, I'm the church coordinator I help a lot with the music play drums sing play the organ and uh, generally fill in wherever I need to be it sounds like the only thing you're not in is ladies' ministry. <laughs> not in the ladies' ministry. That's right. He secretly runs it. <laughs> that's, his, that's his superhero alter ego. That's why it's going so well. <laughs> um, so we've got some questions for Brother Mitchell today because, as you guys know, behind the moment, we want to find out about the moments when Brother Mitchell started that walk and God stepped in and made the way came alongside that and so brother mitchell is how old are you brother mitchell i am 24 whoa i'm i'm still the oldest person in the room but not by much (laughs) okay so he's 24 so uh we wanted to talk today about his young years and um as you guys heard his dad is the pastor and his dad has been the pastor his entire life am i correct yes yeah so that makes an interesting dynamic but the reason we really want to interview interview Brother Mitchell is because unlike um, some of our other interviews, Brother Mitchell was raised in church. Um, Wes, you were you didn't get in church till you were how old? 
I was late four, early five. Okay, Michaela? Probably around six. Okay, and Wes- and William, you were raised in the church. So you and Mitchell kind of understand each other a little bit on this. So it gives us a little bit of different point of view because up until now you've heard stories of people who encountered God all of a sudden and then how things changed. But Mitchell was literally born with the words, Hero Israel, <laughs> said over him as the first words of this, that his father spoke. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Great segue. Great segue, Wes. Good job. Um, yeah, we just want to, you know, give you a few questions and really get to know what was behind the moment of where you are now, because most of our listeners know who you are, and they've seen you singing at big conferences, mm-hmm. and everybody knows, you know, you're good at drumming, and all the things you do. So we just wanted to know, how did you get there? Because you obviously weren't born with a beautiful voice and... And preaching. Well, maybe you were. I feel like I can remember sometimes. (laughs) But you obviously didn't have the relationship with God that you have now. And so tell us about some of those moments from when you were younger that might be applicable to all the HDR kids out there. So my first real encounter with God, I remember, is the night I got the Holy Ghost. Um, How old were you? I believe I was six. I believe I was six. Um, actually, side note, my mom has a little deal with the exact date on it. She gave it to me a few years ago. Oh, that's cool. But, so I was standing pretty close to our drummer in, in our old building, and I remember I raised my hands, and I told God I want the Holy Ghost tonight. And I began to pray, and I remember there were a lot of people around me. I don't remember who all was around me. And then I remember probably 20, 30 minutes later when I finished praying, I remember thinking to myself, I got the Holy Ghost tonight. That's my first real memory of, you know, an encounter with God, a deep Mm -hmm. encounter with God. That's still pretty young. Yeah. Six. (laughs) Uh, I didn't know anything about that when I was six. (laughs) Um, and so what was that like after you, I mean, were you immediately like the next day, like I've felt God's presence and now I shall go forth? No, not really. Um, I believe I was baptized a week before that, a few days before that. I remember that, but it wasn't real. No real. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I understood I needed to be baptized. I understood why. Right. Um, I think really I went right back to being the same Henri little devil that I was which is which is like what we've all kind of said (laughs) it doesn't just get good just because you get the Holy Ghost and you're baptized you're not instantly like perfect Um, I don't remember this but I several people have told me I used to run around when I was about the same age and people would ask me Mitch are you gonna preach when you grow up and I tell them no I'm never gonna preach so we see how that played out (laughs) it's like they say never say never (laughs) it has a way of coming back to haunt you so when do you think, like, what age, or when do you think it, like, actually clicked that you actually needed God? Um, or if I, you don't remember the exact moment, like, what were some what were some times or things that happened that made you realize you needed God? Like, the next encounter that I can remember, I was probably about 10. Uh, it was in our the same building. And I remember we had had a, it was actually kind of funny. Bishop was out of town. Uh, Pastor 
Williams kind of just had to step in and preach last minute mm-hmm. because of everything that happened. And I remember him walking to the pulpit, and he said, well, tonight, he said, God's going to move. I'm only going to preach about five minutes. And he did only preach about five minutes. I think it was. And the whole church said, amen. <laughs> amen. Yeah, I think he preached like just a little over five minutes and he gave altar call. And it was a really deep altar call. Um, and I remember they began to play the song Bow Down. And I remember Brother Williams grabbed the mic and he said, you know what we're going to do before we leave? He said, I want everyone to get on their knees. And I remember when we got on our knees, it was like an explosion of just anointing in there. And I, I remember laying on my face in the altar sobbing for probably a good 30, 40 minutes before I got up. And when I got up from there, that, that was there was something that changed inside of me. I wasn't quite sure what changed or or how it was all going to work out, but I knew that there had been a change inside of me. Like something shifted. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. And that's not going to be in the podcast, but no, I that think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. No. Growing up in church, there's this thing that keeps happening when kids uh, turn into teenagers and they start to get into adulthood and they kind of get this feeling, I call it like the privilege mentality. They start to think, well, I know all about how to be saved. I know Bible. I could quote verses. I know all this stuff and I've been in this my whole life. So I'm okay. And really nothing I do is going to be that bad because I've been in this my whole life. So they start, you start to get this, like, it's where I see a lot of people miss out. They feel like that's, it doesn't matter because they know it, but they never really embraced it. So I, I guess I'm asking for the HDR kids, what were some of the moments that you, you looked at it and you knew that you couldn't make it through just because your dad was a preacher or just because you had been born into this? Or maybe it was a message, maybe it was a person who made you realize, but what were some of those moments when you, you looked at yourself and you realized, I have to have my own relationship or I grow up and I'll be lost just like everybody else. So probably right around the same age, uh, maybe nine, ten years old, um, I went through a time in my life where I, I struggled with depression. Like, and I didn't, I didn't understand what it was mm-hmm. then, but looking back, I understand what it is now. Um, I don't really know why. It probably because I was eating a bunch of junk food and I wasn't eating right. <laughs> oh um, no, he just dissed the M and M's. But it also I think most of it God used it to kind of challenge me um and I would I would sit in my desk at school and I would reach a point where I I couldn't work I couldn't focus I couldn't work I just wanted to break down and cry and I didn't really understand why um and the only way I could find peace is I would go to brother Hicks and I would ask him can I go upstairs and pray and he would say you know of course you can so I reached a point where I spent about the first 30, 35 minutes of every school day, I would go upstairs and I would pray. Um, and I remember there were times when I was so scared and so anxious that I couldn't pray. I would go lay down next to my mom and I would listen to her pray. Mm-hmm. But going through that experience made it very clear to me that like I, I can't do this on my own. Even at 10 years old, if I can't fight through this anxiety or this depression you know this fear by myself then how am I going to face life by myself so I think that was whatever that was and why ever it happened that was one of the main catalysts that that showed me hey you need God you can't do this on your own um on that I'd ask you do you think when you you say you went up and you'd go and pray do you think that you understood how to pray then 
or like, did you feel like when you went up, you were praying or did you have this like intimidation? Like, I don't even know how to pray. I'm just coming up here and talking because we've been talking to the kids about prayer is a conversation and we talk and we listen and we talk and we, and it's a back and forth kind of thing. I don't think I really understood how to pray. Um, I don't think I really understood how to pray till probably the age of 15 or 16 Mm -hmm. where I really began to understand what prayer is. Mm -hmm. Um, at that age, I, the reason I was going upstairs is in my mind that I knew that was the only way I could escape what I was feeling is to get into the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And one of the fastest ways at that time I knew to get into the presence of God was actually to go listen to my mom pray. And as she, oh would yeah, because that's like convicting. Yeah. You ever listen to your mom pray? Yeah, and you're like please help them with their at, and all of a sudden you're like, oh snap, oh man. <laughs> whenever, whenever um, we did homeschool, whenever I was younger, uh-huh. we would always have like ten minutes of prayer before each school day, and I remember just absolutely not knowing what to pray then my mom was over here like calling down the fire and all this (laughs) stuff and i was like my mom in her prayer closet me oh i remember that i remember (laughs) that and then they start praying for something crazy like and like to move somewhere and you're like oh snap (laughs) (laughs) you know but um i point that out because even though you at that point didn't know necessarily the full power behind your prayer and how to bring praise and how to, you know, bring all that into your prayer. It wasn't any less powerful. Is that, I mean, would you say you wasted your time praying? Right. So uh, just pointing out to the HDR kids that we we're always talking about anything you pray. It's not a, it's not wasted breath. So even though he didn't, he says he didn't know exactly what he was doing. He was still doing what he had been, what he'd read, what he'd heard from the pulpit. You know, when you are in a hard time, you pray. We don't know always what to say, but even adults don't. Would you say that every time you go to pray now as a 24-year-old that you know what you're, you're praying and what to pray? No. No, it's not like that. Yeah. So fearing, like you said, your dad was also your pastor. What was that like? So growing up with dad as the pastor and now as god has grown his ministry now bishop Mm -hmm. um it's very interesting you kind of have to learn how to share your dad if that makes sense so you know there were sometimes we could for instance we fish a lot so there were times that we could go fishing and then there were sometimes that we couldn't go fishing because dad was not only being my dad but he was being the pastor of christian growth center which is what God called him to do as well as being my dad. That's kind of interesting because uh, as you guys know, I didn't have a dad. So that's something that like never occurs to me, but Michaela and Wesley have military dads. So do you guys kind of relate to that? I mean, Feeling like you sharing him because like he'll always get like calls when we're doing stuff or like he'll have to like leave to like go deal with his soldiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do know a lot because of my dad's position, the thing that he does in the army, a lot of times we'll be eating dinner. Most of the time, whenever we're eating dinner, uh, he'll just get a call and then he'll return like 45 minutes later and everyone's like gone. Then he's eating cold <laughs> spaghetti by himself. <laughs> so yeah, I can kind of relate to that. Well, so that's an interesting, that must have been just an interesting thing in and of itself to have to like kind of overcome 
that he was both dad and pastor. It is. Uh, the other one of the other interesting things is you kind of and it, when you're younger, you don't realize what's going on. But as you become older, especially like the teenage years, you kind of have to learn to differentiate between when he's just being your dad and when he's being your pastor. Because yeah. if he's being your dad, if handled correctly, you can have a disagreement with your dad mm-hmm. and talk through that. Um, but when he's pastor, it's... You're man of God. It There is no argument. There's Ooh. yes or... Were there ever times where it was like hard for you to... Yes. Oh, I'm yes, sure. There's, yeah. there's been times where it was everything I could do to just shut my mouth and walk away and say, yes, sir. And he was right and I was wrong, but it, you still have that. You want to argue, you know, 14, 15, all the way up to 18, 19 year old young man. You're trying to figure out all these things and your dad is telling you something that you may not agree with. And there were times I remember him looking at me and telling me, Mitchell, I'm not talking to you right now as your dad. This is God talking to you as your pastor. And when he says that, that's, you know, I don't know how to say it. It's kind of like, and he didn't do this, but it's kind of like the Trump all card. Like you just shut your mouth and say, yes, sir. Because at that point, if your pastor is wrong, God will correct your pastor. That's not Mm -hmm. my place. Mm -hmm. If my dad and I are having a disagreement, then if handled correctly and I'm still respectful, we can talk through that disagreement. Mm -hmm. But as the man of God, I don't ever want to reach a point where I'm questioning the man of God. And right. in order to do that, when when I understand, okay, he's being bishop right now, you just kind of have to grit your teeth and say, yes, sir. Man, that's kind of rough because, like, for most people, they'd have two roads, like the dad road and then the bishop road, and they can, you know, they go down one and then they go down the other. But when it's the same road, and this sounds like it's a super narrow road, like (laughs) only one car on that thing, uh, that had been um, somewhat difficult, and I'm sure sometimes a blessing, too. It is. uh, It is a blessing because, and thankfully with our pastor, he's super easy to approach with anybody, Mm -hmm. but even if he wasn't, I still kind of have the inroad because it's dad. You know, I can walk mm-hmm. into dad's office whenever I want and say, dad, I need to talk to you. Um, which everybody else can too, yeah. but I just don't think they realize that. Yeah. And I'm I've, telling people all the time, you could go ask him, go ask him. It's yeah. like asking the principal for something though. I'm always like, go ask him. No, <laughs> nobody wants to do it. Yeah. Yeah. What were, um, can you think of any moments um, when you were young or maybe even people who made an impact on encouraging you to build that relationship with God, encouraging you to pray harder, to go further when you were a kid, people who invested in you when you were young. Cause one of the things we're trying to point out is that more people are for kids than they think. So probably the, the biggest influence besides my parents, obviously, would be Pastor and First Lady Williams out of the Rock Church in Fort Myers. Who were, um, they were your youth pastors at the time, right? Yes, that was, and, you know, growing up, that was always Uncle Randy and Auntie Barb. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still are. <laughs> so that, I remember, uh, for instance, the first time I sang in the choir was like a day after my 12th birthday because in our church it was once you turn 12, you can begin to get involved in the ministries um, of the church. And I remember being in the sanctuary and uh, Pastor Williams was doing choir practice because he was the music director then. And I remember he stopped all the music and everything 
and he grabbed the microphone and he said, Mitch, how old are you? And I told him, I just turned 12. And he said, okay, buddy, why don't you come sing with the tenors? Um, and that was, that was, you know, there was no, hey, I want to join the choir. It was kind of like, hey, you just joined the choir, which I didn't have a problem with. Um, and I look back now and I see that was one of the ways of him grabbing a young kid and involving him before he could find, you know, another thing to get in trouble with. <laughs> yeah, because you know how it is during choir practice. All the kids are going crazy. They got their own crazy choir going on. I, I remember when when I was younger, when I was like six or seven, I really, really, really wanted to be in the choir. So every choir practice, I would go up and he would be directing the choir or whatever. And I would just go stand by him and watch how it worked. That's cool. So you said that you got involved from a young age, but... Was there ever a point whenever you really stopped just absorbing the background and you really became part of what was going on around you? So that experience happened because of something that happened to my dad. So if you listen to my dad in any, I mean, you could probably find it on one out of every seven messages he's preached. At the end of it, he talks about being a 15-year-old boy and when God got a hold of him and he would reach a point where he had to pray every day. It's like God drove him to pray. Well, growing up, I would hear my dad, I mean, at nauseum. I can probably quote that story too in my sleep because I've heard it so much. Well, I reached a point where I, I don't remember what service it was. I remember I was around the age of 15 or 16. I remember I, I stopped and I asked God, I said, I want that experience. I want to experience that. And I never really realized it until later, but I did experience that. I reached a point where I would get home from school um, and I would immediately go into my room and I would close the door and turn music on and I would pray. Uh, sometimes I'd pray for 20, 30 minutes. Sometimes I'd pray for hours. Um, that's the point in my life when things kind of shifted around and I was like, okay, I need to figure out what God's calling me to do because I'm not going to waste my life. Um, it was in that that's also going back to what we talked about earlier. That's the point where I really begin to learn how to pray. Um, around that time, Brother Maceo and Sister Carla Montez were my Sunday school teachers then. And Sister Montez taught, I don't even, uh, several lessons on prayer and what prayer meant to her. And when I saw her and what it meant to her, and then all the things that I've seen God do because of her prayers, that's when I was like, okay, I, I need to learn how to pray. So all of that kind of happened at the same time. That was probably the biggest turning point in my teenage years where I was like, okay, I need to figure out the will of God and I need to start heading down that path. Okay, so do you think like during that period like where you would go and pray in your room, you think like that's when you started to see what God had like in store for your life? like what his will for you was? Yes, uh, a little bit. <clears throat> um, I think at that point, in fact, I know at that point, that's when God called me to preach uh, when I turned 15. And that was very, that was very, very clear. But what a, a lot of people that aren't called to preach don't understand is that it's not like, th when you're called to preach, you're not automatically called to be a pastor. 
<laughs> it's not like in a meeting, you know, like you're called to preach. Oh, well, I got to be a pastor. Like being a preacher of the gospel, it might eventually grow into being a pastor or being evangelist or, you know, but there's all these different, you know, I can name multiple preachers in our church that have never pastored that are amazing preachers. So I, I knew I was called to preach and that was a very, that was a very clear calling. Um, I was in the altar praying at passing the torch right after brother Joel Booker had just preached. Um, I believe the, the sermon was titled called to carry his most holy. And he preached about, the men in the Old Testament that were called to carry the Ark of the Covenant, and yet they could never see what they carried. And I was praying, and a very dear man of God walked up to me, and he said, Mitch, are you going to do what God called you to do? Are you just going to play around for the rest of your teenage years? And I knew he didn't clarify what he was talking about, but I knew what he was talking about. So I I knew I was called to preach, um, but I didn't know what that meant. I just, okay, well, yeah, I, I'm called to preach the gospel, but what does that mean, you know, as a 15-year-old kid? Like, for instance, my dad, you listen to him talk, when he went through this stage of deep prayer with God, when he came out of that, per se, and, and he, he didn't, he doesn't really talk about, you know, oh, it just ended on such and such a day, but as that season in his life began to fade, he immediately went into full-time ministry as an evangelist, and was gone for like left home finished high school preaching revivals so you know when you hear him tell those stories and then you start going through the same thing you're kind of wondering well am I about to pack my bags and you know head to wherever God's about to take me and that it wasn't the case for me it was more like build a relationship with me and then I'll show you what the next step is um, because you can't do anything for God unless you're going to build a relationship you just can't do it. That's good. So if so, you said you knew that you were supposed to be a preacher. So you you get this word. You're like, okay, I need, I want you to preach. But you wake up the next day and you know you're not going to be preaching the next day or the next month or maybe even in that year or doing conferences or anything like that. So what do you do in the meantime? So you you said build a relationship. So what are you doing in the meantime? That is God's will. I mean, you want to be doing God's will. So how do you get? How are you getting from? I know I need to preach to I'm going to be preaching one day. So then the next... I ask because it's not like a big chemical formula, I think. Like everybody thinks like, oh, we got to do step A, step B, step C. I almost couldn't remember my alphabet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think a lot of it, I don't think a lot of it. I think 100% of it is just trusting God and stepping where he tells you to step. For instance, uh, growing up, my mom made it very clear to my brother and I that we would do at least three years of Bible quizzing. After that, we could quiz if we wanted to, but we would. And, and it wasn't so much for the, you know, the competition or, you know, all the different things that people get involved with stuff like that for. Her main goal was for us to memorize the Bible. That was her main goal. That's cool. So that happened to me as a, you know, at, I think I started at like 10, 11, 12, maybe, maybe 13 Somewhere around there, I quizzed three years. Well, then, you know, fast forward two years and I'm called to preach. And there's already a foundation of scripture there for me to build on. I didn't know I was going to be called to preach, you know, at the age of 15. I just knew mom wants me to Bible quiz. And then, you know, you fast forward to being called to preach. Well, I didn't know what the next step was. Um, 
I've heard my parents say this, and I believe it comes from Bishop Von Morton, and I've heard this ever since I was little. My mom and dad would say, the perfect will of God is the present task at hand. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that, well, you know, at 15, what's the present task at hand? Most of the time, that's schoolwork. So. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> that's a sore subject today. <laughs> I'm telling you, school is too much. Mr. I, I think I have ADHD, honestly, now. So what were some struggles that you encountered being in the church that made you stronger? Yeah, or maybe things you had to overcome because you were raised in the church? Um, so, two one of them every single person raised in church is going to encounter and the other one is more specific to me uh, as a musician so the first one is if as as you grow up in church you hear all this stuff your whole life mm -hmm. you know you hear one god acts 238 holiness separation the whole spill you hear all of that okay and even in bible quizzing i memorized all those verses i could quote them to you but you don't really know those things you've just heard those things and as you begin to transition from for me it was from a young boy into a young man you begin to think more outside the box and so no longer are these just things that you've heard but now you're questioning these things are these things true because it which is I don't believe there's anything wrong with that because if somebody's telling you the truth it doesn't matter how much you question it it's the truth right but that was one of the things that I, and, and still as being 24 years old, there's still things I question and I have to work through. Um, but that was one of the biggest struggles f as a young teenager for me was when I began to be like, okay, well, Bishop preaches this over the pulpit, but why does Bishop preach this over the pulpit? Mm -hmm. And so I would have to go find scripture. Um, and there I kind of have an end because Bishop is dad. So I go, Dad, why? I still call him all the time. He probably gets tired of me calling him. I call him all the time. Dad, what What do you think about this? What does the Bible say about this? Because um, I know this is like a little bit deeper, but I know eventually Dad won't be there. And I'd rather have those questions answered now mm -hmm. than when I'm, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old and Dad's not there to answer the questions. So I would ask, you know, I would, I would uh, ask those questions a lot. I still do. The second one, um, and I remember this very vividly, um, and I, I, it's not like, I mean, it is very personal to me, but I don't talk about it a lot, not because I don't want people to know, it just doesn't come up a lot. I was going to say, uh, um, if you don't want anybody to know, this is not the time to do it. <laughs> anyway, guys, thanks for listening. This is the end. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the second struggle, which was personal to me, is, like I said, at 12 years old, uh, Brother Williams pulled me into the choir. Um, grow up, my family is just mind-blowingly musically talented. I'm kind of just glad to tag along and be along for the ride when it comes to hanging out with the elders. Boy, I wish I could just <laughs> tag along. That's what you call tagging along? <laughs> so, you know, obviously grew up, you name it, somebody in our family probably does it, sings it, plays it. And so you grow up with like, you just grow up singing. That's how mm -hmm. you grow up. So 12 years old, joined the choir. Well, then as going from a young boy to a young man, all the things that you have to go through, well, one of the things you go through is you're going to lose your voice. Mm -hmm. So at first, you know, you hear people like, yo, you know, you sound so good. And, you know, I probably sounded like I've been, you name it, I've been compared to him <laughs> as a, you know, a little boy singing. 
well, when I hit that stage in my life, I lost my voice completely. Like I, I could barely even talk. So no singing. No singing at all. And I remember I would get so frustrated because before I could sing, you know, I could sing relatively low notes, not super low notes, and then I could sing basically as high as you wanted me to go. Well, when you go from that range to you can't even talk because your voice is just gone, there is immense frustration. Um, and my, and you know, you know, dad's come around and then it was annoying. Now I look back and I'm like, thank God he never quit doing this. But he would tell me, Mitch, you have to sing through that. You just have to keep singing. Um, so I would, well, I would try, but I couldn't really sing. And I remember one so you, night you had a croaking phase. Yes, definitely. I remember one night I was so frustrated. I told God, I said, God, if you will give me my range back, I will never use it for anything but you. Um, so, and it, it wasn't like an overnight thing, but if you fast forward to now, I, I attribute 100% of the fact that I can sing, you know, pretty much like a high alto, some soprano parts. I attribute that a hundred percent to God answering that prayer that night. And that's kind of a big deal because when you are, when you're, when you have something you're so good at, it'd be easy to use it in many ways, even if you weren't going like full out into a non-church band but you know it'd be easy to just do with whatever you want with that talent because you can it, so that's a pretty big commitment to say no even though it wouldn't necessarily be wrong I'm going to make this solely yours that's a that's a pretty big commitment yeah kudos to your 14 year old self so thank you for coming um just before we close it out and before we go I was wondering if you had any final advice to share with the HDR kids? So my final advice would be um, stay close to your parents, you know, and I understand some of you might not have both parents in church. If that's not the case, and even if that is the case, stick close to your pastor mm -hmm. as close as you can get to the man of God because that's the voice of God in your life. And then the last thing is don't be afraid to get down on your knees and ask for help. You know, there's going to be a lot of times, even in my life, even in my future, there's going to be a lot of times we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to react to things. The best thing we can do is get down and ask God for help. Yeah, because that's like our number one tool. Talking straight to God, we don't have to go through anybody else on a daily basis. So, yeah, great advice. Thank you again so much. It was awesome. Yeah, thank you for coming. We really appreciate your honesty and some of the personal things you told us. It really means a lot to us and to all the HGR kids so thank you again so look us up on Instagram the official bring it on at gmail.com <laughs> that's where you can email us and of course you can write to us and I got this one this time I got it at P.O. Box 11171 Pueblo Colorado 81001 and until we get your letters guys keep it real and bring, bring it, it on, on.